We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 422 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, October 17th, 2022, and we have quarterback uncertainty due to injury in the nation's capital. Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz, Maryland quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, each guy injured in a win for his team over the last few days. Uh, what is next? We do not yet. No, for sure. I do know, though, that we are back together again, and that's a good thing. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Before we go any further, uh, thank you to everyone who came out to Walters in Washington, D.C. on Friday night for the podcast party for the Nats Chat podcast that I do with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. The turnout was tremendous, man. Uh, I met and hung out with a lot of great people, had a really good time. Uh, lots of Nats conversation, but also lots of Commander's conversation. Uh, and then my car got locked inside of a parking garage. Uh, yeah, I left Walters around 10 and then couldn't get to my car because the parking garage that the car was in was shut. Because, hey, why would a parking garage in Washington, D.C. stay open past 10 on a Friday night? Uh, anyway, uh, this nice guy who worked at a bar next to the garage actually let me sneak in through a back door to get to my car. So I had a nice little D.C. adventure on Friday night, but that's okay. It was worth it for the podcast party. And so now we party on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Monday is a big day for Carson Wentz. He reportedly is seeing a specialist in Los Angeles to determine the extent of the damage for a reported broken finger on Carson's right hand. Uh, he suffered this in the 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears this past Thursday night. The early word is that Carson could be out four to six weeks. We have a lot to discuss with this, including, of course, who would be and should be next at quarterback for the Commanders, Taylor Heineke or Sam Howell. I'll get into all of this next segment, and then after that, I have a lot for you on the Commanders, off that win at the Bears, and off head coach Rod Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Friday afternoon. You know, Ron on Friday afternoon was still mad about something 
having to do with the commander's defense, and he was right to be mad about this. I also have some notable pro football focus data regarding the commander's offensive line in the game, and I'll talk about the team situation at running back of what we saw on Thursday night from Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick. Did you enjoy your commander's list NFL Sunday? Uh, the two and four commanders are home to the now three and three Green Bay Packers this Sunday afternoon at one. What is up with the pack? A 27-10 home loss to the New York Jets on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, the Jets won at Lambeau Field by 17 points on Sunday afternoon. Uh, It was nice to see the Dallas Cowboys lose on Sunday night, but of course, the loss was at the Philadelphia Eagles. 26-17, the Eagles now an NFL best six and zero, oh, and the New York Giants now are five and one. A twenty-four twenty win over the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday afternoon. What the Giants' first-year head coach Brian Dable is doing is putting a lot of people to shame, including yes, our guy Rod Rivera. I mean, the Giants' roster is not some overly talented roster, but Dable, through great coaching, has the Giants at five and one. They are the surprise team in the NFL so far this season. We also have another first-year head coach, former Redskins offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell at 5-1 with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, They won at the Miami Dolphins 24-16 on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Yeah, plans don't always take three to five years. Uh, Although, don't look now, but the commanders at 2-4 are just a game behind the teams tied for seventh in the NFC at three and three. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. Uh, Also on the show, college football. Uh, If you are a Maryland fan like me, you are waiting on word on quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, who in the Terrapins 38-33 win at Indiana on Saturday, suffered a lower right leg injury and was carted off the field. Uh, Yes, once again, We may have a Terps quarterback dealing with a serious leg injury. This has happened so many times over the last decade or so. Uh, But anyway, I will talk Maryland, Virginia Tech, Navy, James Madison, Old Dominion at Liberty of what went down for those teams over the weekend. Uh, Ain't no podcaster show that covers college football in the mid-Atlantic region like this show. And I'll talk Capitals. Uh, Now that was more like it for the Caps. A nice 3-1 win over the Montreal Canadiens at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night of the Caps having not played well over the first two games of the 2022-2023 NHL regular season. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Justin on the Commanders, writes Justin, I'm a big fan of the show. I listen every day. Thanks for your great analysis of our team. You always seem to keep me even keeled in regards to our team. Well, thank you for that, Justin. Continues, Justin. I've been a fan of this team for a long time. My first football game I remember watching was when the Redskins won their last Super Bowl. My dad wanted Washington to beat Buffalo. So as a young child, I did as well. That's when I became a fan. On to the Mandos beating Chicago. I watched the whole game. It was frustrating, to say the least. I couldn't even enjoy the win. Uh, Things I enjoyed about the game in no particular order. One, the offensive line played remarkably better. Two, we didn't have nearly the amount of penalties as we did in the previous weeks. Three, Brian Robinson scored his first touchdown. Four, seeing John Allen 
get the interception. I look forward to hearing your analysis in the morning. Keep up the great work. Uh, well, thank you for the email, Justin. Uh, so yeah, the commander's offensive line was better. I'm going to get to that later in the show. It was nice to see running back Brian Robinson Jr. have a touchdown run. It was nice to see Jonathan Allen, an interior defensive lineman, get an interception. It's a little tricky, though, with the penalties. So the commander's in the win at the Bears had seven accepted penalties for 36 yards. Uh, the commanders in the loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field in Week 5 had nine accepted penalties for 71 yards. Uh, seven accepted penalties are still too many for me. And keep in mind the nature of the penalties. Uh, the commander's defense twice was guilty of a too-many-men-on-field penalty due to having 12 players on the field, uh, but only one of those penalties was accepted. Uh, receiver Cam Sims had a bad penalty. Commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's early fourth-quarter 28-yard field goal to cut the commander's deficit to 7-6. The 12th snap of the drive, the first snap of the fourth quarter, third and goal for the commanders at the five. Cam Sims, a five-yard false start penalty. I hated seeing that. Corner uh, Benjamin St. Juice had a costly penalty. Bears ninth offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter turnover on downs the third snap of the drive third and five for the Bears at their 30 St. Juice a five-yard illegal use of hands penalty that negated a sack by Jonathan Allen uh the commanders really do need to clean this stuff up email from Darren on the commander's win at the Bears writes Darren wow those were two bad teams uh the Bears were charged with a fourth timeout and no consequences really they can get away with that but Joe Gibbs can't. <laughs> Thank you for the email, Darren. Uh, yeah, so late in the fourth quarter on the Bears' final offensive drive, we had a play on which one player from each team got banged up. Uh, safety Derek Forrest for the Commanders, receiver Dante Pettis for the Bears, who already had used all three of their second-half timeouts. Uh, the Commanders got charged with their second second-half timeout, the Bears got charged with a fourth second half timeout. As you probably know, a timeout is charged to a team when there's an injury inside of the last two minutes of either half. If all three of a team's timeouts in the half already have been used, there is a special fourth timeout that is charged for an injury with no additional penalty. Uh, what the greatest head coach in Redskins history, Joe Gibbs, did was call back-to-back -back timeouts, which are not allowed to do. He did not, though, call a fourth timeout. Uh, December 2nd, 2007, a 17-16 Redskins loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field in the Skins' first game off the depth of safety, Sean Taylor. Joe called back-to-back -back timeouts to try to ice the Bills kicker, Ryan Lindell, shortly before Lindell made the game-winning 36-yard field goal with four seconds left in the fourth quarter. The Skins actually had two second-half timeouts left, but Joe called back-to-back -back timeouts, which is a no-no. And so the Skins got hit with a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Uh, the field goal attempt became a 36-yarder, and Ryan Lindell connected. That was such a strange game. The Skins on the Bills' first offensive snap of the game had just 10 players on the field in honor of Sean Taylor, but Joe Gibbs didn't know that the Skins were going to do that. The Skins' assistant head coach in charge of defense, Greg Williams, did this without Joe knowing that Greg was going to do this. Uh, the result of that first Bills offensive snap was a 22-yard run by Bills running back Fred Jackson, although uh, that drive did result in a Bills punt. Uh, but yeah, calling back-to-back -back timeouts a no-no in the NFL. Well, what's also a no-no is having a weak law firm represent you. 
That's why if you have been victimized by the negligence of someone else, or if someone who you care about has been victimized by the negligence of someone else, you gotta call Paulson and Nace. No law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. You see, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients' harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was just concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government was paying nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have heard about this. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. Uh, again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yet you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Ratings and reviews help out the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. It can be just a sense or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. So it may well be that quarterback Carson Wentz has played his last game for the Commanders. Uh, that is not being overly dramatic. That is not engaging in hyperbole. Uh, that, to me, is a logical thought to be having right now. Uh, we knew that Carson in the Commanders' 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears this past Thursday night had hurt his right hand, uh, his throwing hand. We now know more. Uh, we, on Saturday morning, had multiple reports that Carson in the game suffered a fractured finger on his right hand and was to see a specialist in Los Angeles on Monday. Uh, NFL insiders Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofolo of NFL Network and NFL.com reported that the fractured finger is Carson's right ring finger. Uh, how long Carson will be out for, we don't yet know. Presumably, we'll get a better idea of that of this visit to the specialist in LA on Monday. But the timetable for return that's being bandied about is four to six weeks. Uh, let's assume that Carson ends up needing somewhere in that range to come back. 
Uh, the widespread belief is that Taylor Heineke will be the commander's starting quarterback in the meantime. More on that in a bit. If, while Carson is out, Taylor plays well, then Taylor should, and almost certainly would, remain the commander's starting quarterback once Carson is healthy enough to play again. If, while Carson is out, Taylor does not do well, then Sam Howell should, and I sure hope would, become the commander's starting quarterback because the season would be over from a postseason contention standpoint, and we would be all in on 2023, although I I know that some of you are there already. Uh, Either way, Carson Wentz doesn't play again this season. Now, what if Taylor Heineke struggles and or gets hurt? and Sam Howell struggles and or gets hurt, well, then we might see Carson Wentz play again this season. So it's not a slam dunk that Carson has played his last game for the Commanders, but that possibility very much exists. Think about this too. The 70% uh, among the items that the Commanders gave up to the Indianapolis Colts for Carson Wentz via trade this past March was a third-round pick in the 2023 NFL draft that can become a second round pick in the 2023 draft. The pick will become a second round pick if Carson plays on at least 70% of the commander's offensive snaps in the 2022 regular season. 70% of a 17-game regular season is about 12 games. Uh, Carson being out for four to six weeks could make it so that he doesn't play on at least 70% of the commander's offensive snaps in the 2022 regular season, even if he does play once he's healthy enough to play off recovering from this hand injury. Uh, Carson Wentz has not been the commander's biggest problem this season, but he overall has not played well enough. And as things stand right now, I would not advocate for the commanders to bring him back for the 2023 season. They can cut him this offseason and incur zero dead money on the salary cap. If he ends up playing a bunch more this season and plays extremely well, uh, then we can revisit this. But right now, I don't know how anyone could be in favor of bringing him back for next season, given what we have seen over six games in this regular season, given that Carson is set to have a salary cap hit for the 2023 season of $26.18 million, and given that the 2023 NFL Draft is set to be a quarterback-rich NFL Draft. Now, regarding Carson's $26.18 million salary cap hit for next season, you know, that is a bargain cap hit for a quarterback who's playing well, but that is an albatross of a cap hit for a quarterback who isn't playing well. And if you had to drop Carson Wentz into one bucket for his play so far this season, you drop him into the bucket of isn't playing well as opposed to the bucket of is playing well. And again, Carson has not been the commander's biggest problem, but he has been a problem. Uh, He played well in the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. He played well in the second half of the loss at the Detroit Lions in week two. He played pretty well in the loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field in week five, but he was really bad in the loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in week three. He was really bad in the loss at the Dallas Cowboys in week four, and he was bad in the win at the Chicago Bears this past Thursday night, although I do want to say this, and I tweeted this on Saturday morning. So we now know of three ailments for Carson this past Thursday night. A, Carson went into the game with a right biceps tendon strain that he suffered in a loss to the Titans. NFL insider Tom Pelissero of NFL Network and NFL.com reported that this past Thursday morning. B, Carson in the second quarter suffered the reported fractured finger on his right hand. And C, Carson on the final snap of the third quarter hurt his right ankle on a two-yard pistol read option run on a second and goal at the seven. And yet, Carson Wentz on Thursday night threw that block 
that Florida linebacker Roquan Smith, right? Commander's ninth offensive drive resulted in running back Ryan Robinson Jr.'s fourth quarter second and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. The first half of the drive, first and goal for the Commanders at the six. Robinson, a five-yard pistol handoff run in which he made a great cut to the outside and on which Carson Wentz threw a great block on Roquan Smith. Uh, you add to that that Carson finished the game despite these three ailments, right? Right biceps, right hand, right ankle. And give Carson credit. He on Thursday night displayed major toughness, major grit. He was hurting. I don't think that it's unreasonable to say that his physical condition affected his play, but he played. And he, despite dealing with these three ailments, threw that block that humiliated one of the best linebackers in the NFL, Roquan Smith. So if nothing else, respect to Carson Wentz for his toughness. As uh, Ali G used to say, if you remember Ali G, respect, Buyakasha. Respect, Buyakasha. Yes, thank you, Ali G. Carson Wentz, respect, Buyakasha. Respect, Buyakasha. Absolutely, and you can't forget the Buyakasha. <laughs> uh, as for whether Taylor Heineke or Sam Howell should be the commander's starting quarterback, assuming that Carson Wentz is going to miss a game or games. Uh, personally, my preference would be for Sam Howell to be the commander's starting quarterback so that we could get a nice sample of Sam as an NFL quarterback and get a sense of Sam in terms of what he might be as an NFL quarterback before the commanders in the 2023 offseason embark on yet another quest for a franchise quarterback. Uh, however, I do recognize that it may be that Sam Howell isn't close to being ready to start an NFL regular season game. This is one of these situations in which the team, in theory anyway, uh, knows more than we do. Uh, we have no idea how Sam Howell is doing in practice and how Sam is doing in meetings. Now, if he is anything close to being ready to start an NFL regular season game, then he absolutely should start, but we just don't know where he's at. You know, keep in mind that Howell at North Carolina was not good at avoiding sacks. Imagine what could happen with him behind this commander's offensive line if he isn't truly ready to start an NFL regular season game. So my preference with Carson Wentz out would be for Sam Howell to be the commander's starting quarterback, but I'm okay with him not starting if he's not truly ready. And I would be stunned if he does start because every indication so far has been that Taylor Heineke would be the commander's starting quarterback with Carson Wentz out. And I would bet a lot of money that the head coach, Ron Rivera, who, as we know, is desperate to have a good season, and this is his third season as Washington head coach, views Taylor as a more viable path to salvaging this season than Ron views Sam as a viable path to salvaging this season. We more or less know what Taylor Heineke is as an NFL quarterback, yes, but three things to keep in mind. Uh, number one, Taylor did play well at times last season. The week two win over the New York Giants on Thursday night football at FedEx Field. The week four win at the Atlanta Falcons. The four-game winning streak from weeks 10 through 13. Taylor played well in those games. He can't be trusted to play well over the entirety of a 17-game regular season, but can he play well for, say, a month or so? Yeah, that is possible, and we did see that last season. Uh, number two, Taylor's mobility and mastery of offensive coordinator Scott Turner's scheme are two things that Taylor has that Carson Wentz does not have. Uh, Carson has the much stronger arm, but Taylor's mobility and knowledge of the offense are two big positives for him. And those two things to me matter more than arm strength. And number three, the Taylor Heineke who we saw last season 
never had a truly healthy Curtis Samuel at receiver or had Jahan Dodson at receiver or had Bride Robinson Jr. at running back. Uh, Also, the Taylor Heineke, who we saw last season, went a good chunk of the season without tight end Logan Thomas and running back J.D. McKissick due to injury, Uh, although Logan has been inactive for the last two games due to a calf injury, but you get the idea. There are some weapons that 2022 Taylor Heineke has that 2021 Taylor Heineke did not have, Uh, although what's also true is that 2021 Taylor Heineke played behind a good Washington offensive line. The commander's offensive line this season has been a big problem. Hopefully the lines of the process are getting better, but you can't just assume that that's going to happen. Whatever the case, a change at quarterback appears to be happening. We'll hopefully find out more on Monday. But as things stand right now, Taylor Heineke, aka Tay-Tay, may well be back in the saddle again. Well, like playing behind the commander's offensive line, the real estate market right now is, uh, shall we say, tricky. And so that's why if you are on the hunt to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you gotta get with real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, but are unsure whether now is the time to buy a home, know this, now is the time. Uh, It has been a crazy last few months in real estate, no doubt, but as was detailed in the Washington Post recently, there right now is a real estate market shift taking place, giving the upper hand to buyers. The window for buying a home is opening. Uh, Buyers have faced crazy competition for homes over the last few years, oftentimes losing out on homes. Well, the rising mortgage rates mean that the market now is not as competitive and inventory is starting to rise. Uh, Houses are also sitting longer and we are starting to see price reductions, all good signs for buyers. Uh, Now is the time to capitalize on this. Visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want, no matter your age, family situation, or financial situation. Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer, get a piece of the action. So visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell.com. Close it with Kel, K-E-L-L dot com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Visit closeitwithkel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. So Commanders head coach Rod Rivera on Friday afternoon did a day after the game Zoom press conference. Uh, This, of course, off the Commanders 12-7 win 
at the Chicago Bears on Thursday night. Unlike the majority of Ron's other press conferences last week, uh, this Friday presser was rather uneventful. Uh, No one-word answers of quarterback, no apologies, no cursing, uh, no storming out of the press conference. This was actually a normal, not-much-happening Ron Rivera press conference. And I have to say, that was a welcome sight on Friday afternoon. Uh, Here was Ron on Friday afternoon on what stood out to him in breaking down the commander's win at the Bears. Oh, probably the biggest thing was on uh, the offensive side with the missed opportunities. You know, we caught a couple of passes we could have, uh, we, we should have caught. Um, you know, we, we, we missed a couple of throws we, we, we should normally make. Um, I thought uh, we ran the ball effectively at, at moments. And then I think um, defensively, uh, the explosives again. You know, we were a couple of things that came up. Probably the biggest ones, obviously, was a quarterback, more so than anything else, uh, that, that were scary. Uh, but... To, to the defensive players' credit, the way they bowed their neck, uh, an interception, and then two two uh, two um, fourth down stops in the red zone were huge, and obviously th- those were the difference in the game. Yeah, Ron Rivera in this press conference on Friday afternoon very much acknowledged the shall we say imperfect nature of the Commanders' win at the Bears. It's funny, Ron stormed out of his post-game press conference on Thursday night in talking about the bombshell ESPN report on Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder that came out on Thursday morning. I mean, think about this. How many times in the history of the NFL has a head coach after a win stormed out of a press conference? I mean, that's so rare, right? After a win, a head coach storms out of a press conference, but such is life when you are the commander's head coach, especially in a coach-centric approach. Well, something else that Ron was really mad about during his post-game press conference on Thursday night was something that he brought up again on Friday afternoon. The commanders on Thursday night twice being guilty of a too-many-men-on-field penalty. Uh, Bears' third offensive drive resulted in a second-quarter turnover on downs. The second snap of the drive on a first-and-goal for the Bears at the Commander's 6. The Commanders inexplicably had 12 players on the field in committing a three-yard, too-many-men-on-field penalty. The Bears' seventh offensive drive was their first offensive drive of the second half. The ninth snap of the drive, corner Kendall Fuller got beat by receiver Dante Pettis on a 40-yard touchdown bomb on what was a free play because the Commanders had 12 men on the field for a too-many-men-on-field penalty. The penalty was declined. The ensuing extra point gave the Bears a 7-3 lead. There also was a snap on which the Commanders' defense had just 10 men on the field. The Commanders' defense had trouble counting on Thursday night. Maybe they need help from the count from Sesame Street. I don't know, but this was bizarre. Three different instances of the commander's defense not having the right number of players on the field. Uh, more from Ron Rivera on Friday afternoon. There's a ways to go. I mean, we've got to improve. There's some things that we, we can't keep doing. And, and uh, you know, not just the explosives, but we can't keep, you know, making mistakes that hurt us. I mean, 12 on the field is unacceptable. Uh, not getting the, the 11th player on the field is unacceptable. And those are things that we're working on. We're, we're gonna we're gonna get corrected. I mean, it it it, it you know obviously it, it's it, it bothers me, and and we just can't uh, we can't allow that. 
No, you can't. Uh, the commander's defense has played reasonably well in each of the team's last four games. But yeah, this persistent problem on Thursday night of not having the right number of players on the field, that was bizarre. I mean, that's the kind of a problem that a really bad team has. That's the kind of a problem that a poorly coached team has. But according to Ron Rivera, the commanders did prepare for the possibility of having substitution issues. Take a listen to this from Ron on Friday afternoon. You'll hear him refer to Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze, who spent the previous three seasons as the Green Bay Packers quarterbacks coach and also served as the Packers passing game coordinator the last two seasons. You look at some of the things that they did, and we were aware they were going to do it, and that's what upsets us because we talked about it. The guy came from Green Bay. He was an assistant there. Green Bay notorious for trying to get you when you substitute. You're not supposed to substitute until they substitute is what we said. But we substituted because a guy, you know, raised his hand to get out. Well, you know, I can't say take a knee because if you take a knee and you're not hurt, then you get in trouble. So, but when that situation happens, you got to gut it out, suck it up until they substitute so we can match. And then when they did match, and I said this yesterday, and I know I'm complaining a little bit, but when they substitute late, we should be allowed to match. And we didn't, and that's on us. That's on me because, again, I, the first thing I should have done was run out in the middle of the field and screamed at the head breath, but I didn't. Um, but we can't allow that, especially because we knew they were going to do it. That's, what, that's what's maddening about that. We talked about it. He came from Green Bay. This is the things that we were going to get from them. And one of them, obviously, was the thing that Aaron Rodgers does so well. We're going to face that this week, so that's coming up. So that'll be a point of emphasis. We cannot get caught substituting. Um, We will only substitute when they substitute. Yeah, the commander's home to quarterback Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers this Sunday afternoon at one. Uh, There was a lot to like from the commander's defense in the win at the Bears. The commanders held the Bears to just 5 of 13 on third downs. The commanders in this 2022 regular season have held opposing teams to a combined 26 of 82 on third downs, 31.7% on third downs. That is excellent. Third down defense of the commanders held the Bears to just one of four on fourth downs, including that game winning tackle by corner Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, the commanders held the Bears to 0 of three in the red zone. Uh, the commanders in the 2022 regular season have held opposing teams to combined at 12 of 24 in the red zone. That's a good red zone percentage for your defense. Uh, and the commanders were all over Bears quarterback Justin Fields, finished with five sacks and 12 quarterback hits. Rod Rivera on Friday afternoon on the commander's defense, and pay close attention to an unsung hero who Ron brings up. Yes. Well, the first thing that we have to understand, <clears throat> more than anything else, is that a couple of the uh, areas that we looked at this past offseason and we worked on and trying to get better at, I, I think Jack and his staff have done a terrific job. I really do. You know, we we, we struggled last year in third downs. We struggled getting pressure on the quarterback. Um you know, we, we, we now are one of, the, one of the better groups in getting pressure on the quarterback. We're one of the better groups in third down, and we're also one of the better groups on, 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 on red zone. Um, I think what's happening, too, is I, I think our, our defensive tackles, the rotation is starting to, 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 to firm up. Uh, I think we've been a little bit better ever since we've gotten a, um, um, JR. You know, Ridgeway's a big, stout, heavy young man who comes in and fills up a lot of space. And I think that allows Duran and, and Jonathan to be uh, a little bit more explosive in, in, in their get-offs. They're not, they're not catching and reading as much. They're getting vertical into their creases and they're making plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and I think that's helped. I really do. And I think it, it's something that we've got to continue to be good at. 
and and win at that surge at the at the at the line. That's that I I thought was really cool. I really did. You know, I'm, I'm just finished up watching the defense. Uh, to your point, and and watching those last couple series, really the only bad takeaway from it is the big scramble. You know, I mean that that that's but you can't allow that. We did allow that, and that's something we've got. We we just can't allow it. So how about Ron Rivera making it a point to cite interior defensive lineman John Ridgway? Uh, John Ridgway in the win at the Bears played on 36% of the commander's defensive snaps. Ridgway essentially is the replacement for interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis, who the commanders took in the second round of the 2022 NFL draft out of Alabama, but who suffered a left knee injury, a reported torn left meniscus in the first quarter of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. He underwent surgery on September 16th. He has been on the reserve injured list since September 12th. The commanders on September 19th claimed John Ridgway off waivers from the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who took Ridgway in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Arkansas. So yeah, John Ridgway, key contributor right now for the Commanders, a waiver claim from the Cowboys. Uh, Ridgway has been playing a decent amount for the Commanders, and he's a member of a defensive line group that I think has been doing a nice job. And the thing is, it hasn't just been the Commanders' big name defensive linemen who have been responsible for the defensive line doing a nice job. I mean, remember, edge defender Chase Young hasn't played at all this season as he remains on the reserve physically unable to perform list. Uh, But yes, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, and Jonathan Allen have all been playing really well lately. But guys like James Smith-Williams and F.A. Obata and Casey Tuhill and John Ridgway have made significant contributions too. Uh, by the way, Montez Sweat was the highest graded player for the Commanders in the win at the Bears for Pro Football Focus. He registered an overall grade of 92.5. That is outstanding. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Montez in that game, excellent for a second consecutive game, finished with a sack, four quarterback hits, and two tackles for loss. You know, he got off to a slow start, but these last two games, Montez Sweat has been an absolute force. But guess who the second and third highest graded players for the commanders in the win at the Bears were per PFF? Two offensive linemen, if you can believe that. As we hit on earlier in the show, the commander's offensive line, which overall has been awful this season, was better on Thursday night. Uh, Not great, okay, but better. The commander's offensive line had no accepted penalties off having had five accepted penalties in each of the previous two games. Right tackle Cornelius Lucas was the highest graded offensive player for the commanders in the game for pro football focus, registered an overall grade of 88.4. I tell you, all that Cornelius Lucas has done over his now three seasons with Washington is play well when called upon. Left tackle, right tackle, I do wonder if the commander's best offensive line configuration includes both Lucas and Samuel Cosme, uh, for whom Lucas started on Thursday night. Cosme was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a finger injury. Uh, There has been talk that Cosme's best position in the NFL might be guard as opposed to tackle. I don't know how feasible it would be to try to have Cosme make the switch to guard in the middle of the season, but a right side of Cornelius Lucas at right tackle and Samuel Cosme at right guard could be quite good, Uh, even though I do think that Sadiq Charles has been all right at right guard. And then how about left guard Andrew Norwell? Uh, He was the second highest graded offensive player for the Commanders in the win at the Bears for Pro Football Focus. He registered an overall grade of 81.1. 
in a bounce back game off having been horrendous in the loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field in week five. Uh, Another good thing to say about the commander's offensive line in the win at the Bears was that the line paved the way for a commander's running game that ended up being pretty good. Uh, Running backs Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick combined for 24 carries for 115 yards and a touchdown. That works out to an overall average of 4.79 yards per carry. The running game truly got going in the second half, and thanks in no small part to Gibson, who I thought looked quite good. Gibson for the game, five carries for 35 yards, three receptions for 18 yards on four targets. He played on 26% of the commander's offensive snaps. All eight of Gibson's touches came in the second half. He came up big on the commander's seventh offensive drive, which resulted in kicker Joey Sly's early fourth quarter 28-yard field goal to cut the commander's deficit to 7-6. Second snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third quarter, first and 10, 18-yard under center handoff run. Fourth snap of the drive, quarterback Carson Wentz, a third quarter, second and five, eight-yard shotgun play action completion to Gibson. Sixth snap of the drive, Gibson, a third quarter, second and seven, nine-yard shotgun handoff run. Rod Rivera on Friday afternoon on what is the right running back mix for the commanders with Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick? Well, I'd like to see the mix that we used in the second half. I mean, we got a little bit away from Antonio, but when we brought Antonio in in the second series, I believe it was, of the second half, we saw a change of pace guy come in and how that became a couple of explosives, and we featured uh, Antonio, uh, I think something like five out of nine plays or something like that, the, the next nine. And that's the, where we got to get to, is now all of a sudden they go from getting this guy between the tackles to now we're getting this guy off, the, off, off tackle, we're getting this guy around the end, we're getting this guy out into the routes. Then you come back and you pound a little bit more, and now all of a sudden it's a little softer, and those two, three, four, five-yard runs now become five, six, seven, eight-yard runs. That's what we've got to find. We've got to understand it. And then obviously, J.D. played his role about as good as he could. Yeah, so I know that we spent a lot of time in August talking about Brian Robinson Jr. overtaking Antonio Gibson as the commander's number one running back. But the truth is that unless you have a dominant number one back, a la the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry, the idea with your running game should be to have multiple backs who in any given game can go off. And I do think that the commanders have that with Robinson, Gibson, and J.D. McKissick. All three are very capable. I mean, we do have to see more from Robinson because he has only played in two NFL regular season games, but I don't think that it's at all far-fetched to say that the commanders and Robinson, Gibson, and McKissick have three guys who can be good. Uh, There is a delicate balance here with Brian Robinson Jr. because the commanders clearly believe in him, and you got to give him a chance to get going off, remember, uh, him having been shot Uh, multiple times in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. But Robinson, over his two regular season games, has been so-so at best. Uh, He, on Thursday night, had 17 carries for 60 yards. Antonio Gibson, on Thursday night, had five carries for 35 yards. J.D. McKissick, on Thursday night, had two carries for 20 yards. Gibson and McKissick over seven carries combined for nearly as many yards as Robinson had over 17 carries, 55 yards versus 60 yards. But again, we're two games into Robinson's NFL regular season career. Like, let's give the guy a chance. Props to Gibson and McKissick, though, for looking good 
on Thursday night. By the way, we did also see Gibson on kickoff returns on Thursday night. He registered uh, just one kickoff return, a 27-yard return of the second half opening kickoff. Receiver Dax Milne continued to be the commander's primary punt returner. Milne, over three punt returns, averaged 11.7 yards per punt return. Uh, Speaking of returns, did you see who had some big returns on Sunday afternoon? Former Washington receiver Stephen Sims Jr. Uh, Now with the Pittsburgh Steelers, he and the Steelers' big 2018 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had an 89-yard kickoff return to begin the second half and had a third-quarter 24-yard punt return, although (laughs) Sims also had an early fourth-quarter punt return for minus seven yards. Up next, I'm talking college football, including a potentially very costly win for Maryland, more offensive struggles for Virginia Tech, a crazy loss for James Madison, and a major upset win for Old Dominion. All of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. If you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode, hit us up. We offer a variety of attractive and affordable packages, uh, podcast advertising, a lot cheaper than radio advertising. You can email us, the Al Galdi podcast 
at yahoo.com. Let's talk college football week seven of the 2022 season. A lot to get to, so let's get right to it. A uh, wild game for Maryland on Saturday. The Terrapins improved to five and two overall and two and two in the Big Ten with a 38-33 win at Indiana. The Terps are 5-2 for the first time since 2016. That's good, but there is concern, big concern, if you're a Terps fan right now, because quarterback Talia Tungavailoa in the fourth quarter suffered a lower right leg injury and was carted off the field. Uh, As I tape this very early Monday morning, no word on the extent of Talia's injury. Talia in the game 25-39 for 270 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took two sacks, and he had an early first quarter, first and goal, three-yard pistol read option touchdown run. He has been really good for Maryland this season. Uh, I would argue he's the number one reason that Maryland is 5-2 and two for the first time since 2016, and the prospect that he could be out for the season with this lower right leg injury is brutal. So let's just see what ends up coming of this. But yeah, uh, there is concern, big concern, if you're a Maryland fan right now. Now, the Terps' backup quarterback, Wake Forest transfer Billy Edwards Jr., he came into the game on Saturday, and he ended up coming through, although he came through without completing a pass. Edwards came into the game in the fourth quarter, ended up going 0-3 on passing, but he had five carries for 53 yards and a touchdown, which was a fourth quarter second to goal, three-yard shotgun touchdown run, the ensuing extra point gave the Terps a 38-27 lead. Also, Edwards on the Terps' previous offensive drive, which resulted in a fourth quarter second to goal, six-yard pistol read option touchdown run by running back Roman Hemby, had a third and two, 31-yard shotgun read option run. So props to Billy Edwards Jr. You know, ultimately, the Terps won at Indiana despite a number of things going wrong. Uh, You had what happened with Talia Tungavailoa. The Terps won this game despite blowing leads of 14-3, in the second quarter, and 24-17 in the third quarter. Uh, The Terps won this game despite finishing with nine accepted penalties for 94 yards. The Terps won this game despite their top corner, Ja'Korian Bennett, not playing due to an injury that was suffered during the Terps' practice this past Thursday. The Terps won this game despite their starting left tackle, Jalen Duncan, not playing due to personal reasons. A lot was working against the Terps in this game, but the Terps ended up winning this game. Here was Maryland head coach Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference on Saturday evening. You know, one of the things we talked about, you know, we knew going into this game that Jalen Duncan wouldn't be available. Our starting left tackle, um, he's dealing with a family emergency back home, and uh, Jacoya Bennett gets nicked up and banged up right on Thursday, the last play of practice of Thursday. So you lose two starters like that, and we – you know, these young players are thrust in there. And so when Leah went down, I think the big the big message from me to our offense was, listen, you know, Billy gets 40 percent of those reps during the week. Leah takes 60. We have tremendous faith in Billy and his ability to come in and execute. Um, it's a next man up mentality. And it w- I was really glad to see, you know, Billy come in and do what he did. Dan did a tremendous job of establishing the run game in the second half, which really took some pressure off of things. You know, they were a high pressure team on first and second down. And once we kind of got their flavor of the day, we were able to go in at half, settle some things down and be able to run the ball, which I think helped us in the second half. Yes, it did. Uh, Running back Roman Hemby finished with 17 carries for 170 yards and a touchdown. The Dan, who Mike Loxley referred to, by the way, as Terps offensive coordinator, 
and quarterbacks coach Dan Enos. Uh, the Terps ended up having a good game offensively. Terps scored 38 points, generated 442 total net yards of offense, went 8 of 17 on third downs and 2 of 2 on fourth downs. And the Terps defense was good, especially considering that it was without its top corner, Jacorian Bennett. Uh, the Terps held Indiana to just 4.68 yards per play, held Indiana to just 4 of 13 on third downs. The Terps defense made plays. Maryland generated two interceptions, two forced fumbles, and three sacks. The two interceptions came on Indiana's first offensive play of each half as the Terps finished the game with three takeaways, and the Terps held Indiana quarterback Connor Bazelak to just 292 yards over 42 pass attempts. That works out to just 6.95 yards per pass attempt, although the Terps did allow him to have three touchdown passes. But an impressive, gutsy win for the Terps. But what now with Talia Tungavailoa? We shall see. Uh, next up for Maryland, homecoming. Home to Northwestern this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. We this past Saturday had homecoming for Virginia Tech, and the result was not good. Uh, the Hokies fell to 2-5 and five overall and 1-3 and three in the ACC. A 2014 loss to Miami at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. Tech trailed at the end of the third quarter 20 nothing. Uh, did then win the fourth quarter 14 nothing. but really the only reason that this game ended up being closed was that Miami finished with a jaw-dropping 17 accepted penalties for 159 yards. Yes, 17 accepted penalties for 159 yards. Tech had six accepted penalties for 56 yards. Uh, the Hokies offense was really bad once again. Tech scored just 14 points. Uh, Tech went just 4 of 15 on third downs. Tech had just 257 total net yards of offense, averaged just 4.08 yards per play. This was the Hokies' offensive performance in a nutshell. Tight end Daquan Wright had a lost fumble on a third and six, 27-yard reception on the first offensive drive of the game. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You get a big completion on a third down, and then you commit a turnover. Uh, Tech quarterback and Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, bad once again. Uh, Wells over 33 pass attempts through for just 179 yards. Uh, that works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.42. Now, in fairness to Wells, receiver Daquan Lofton had a killer drop in the third quarter, Lofton on a third and 14 for the Hokies at their 21 drop to surefire touchdown pass by Wells off Wells doing a really nice job of scrambling forward and to his right on a shotgun throw. Uh, but still, Grant Wells has not been good. He over seven games this season has a yards per pass attempt of just 6.07. Uh, he took six sacks in this game, did have a touchdown pass and a touchdown run. But boy, if you are a Virginia Tech fan, I mean, how painful was Saturday? Grant Wells did as he did. And Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker, who transferred from Virginia Tech to Tennessee in January 2021, did as he did. A monster game for the then number six volunteers as they beat then number three Alabama 52-49 in a thriller. Hooker 21 of 30, for 385 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception. And he had 14 official carries for 56 yards. Virginia Tech in 2020 had both quarterback Hendon Hooker and running back Khalil Herbert, who's now with the Chicago Bears and did some nice things for the Bears in the Commander's win at Chicago this past Thursday night. And yet still, the Hokies in 2020 went just five and six. I mean, think about that. Uh, also killing it for Tennessee in that win over Bama was receiver Jalen Hyatt. 
He had six receptions for 207 yards and five touchdowns. Hyatt, in the summer of 2019, decommitted from Virginia Tech. Uh, you can always email me, the Al Goldie podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jim D on the Hokies, writes, Jim, I know I probably shouldn't be talking with the state of my Wahoos right now, and boy, am I glad they were off, but after watching Alabama-Tennessee on Saturday, I can only imagine how Hokies fans must be feeling after suffering yet another L and seeing Hooker and Hyatt look like the second coming of Tom Brady and Randy Moss for the whole nation to see. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. Yeah, it's rough. I mean, especially given Virginia Tech's offensive struggles the last two years to see Hooker and Hyatt thriving for Tennessee right now. Uh, As for the Hokies running game, uh, it did very little in this loss to Miami. Running back Malachi Thomas, 13 carries for just 41 yards. He, on the first offensive play of the game, had a first and 10, 16-yard shotgun read option run, but he, over the rest of the game, had 12 carries for just 25 yards. He did have six receptions for 43 yards and a touchdown, but he ended up leading the Hokies in receptions and receiving yards for the game. You know, this is another issue for Tech. Uh, The pass-catching core, not exactly stellar this season. Uh, Running back Keyshawn King in this game, one carry for two yards, two receptions for four yards. Uh, The Hokies through Week 7 are just 106th in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. Here was Tech head coach Brent Pride during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with columnist David Teal of Richmond.com. We, we got to maximize what we do well, and we've done some things well at times. We got to make sure that we're maximizing all of that and minimizing what we don't do well. And I'm not sure we're doing a great job of that right now, and that's something we're going to evaluate closely. Dave, what do you want to maximize? What in your mind does the offense do well and you want to focus on more? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Number one, we got to make sure we're playing the right personnel that can make the plays that are necessary. Number two, we got to be difficult enough. We can't just line up and be vanilla. We're just not, we've proven we're not that offense that can just line up and say we're going to run it and play action. I think we've got a quarterback that's pretty accurate and can throw the football. Um, you know, we got a, a running back, and I think when we have Keyshawn, we got a one-two there that we got to do a little bit better job and, and even some two-back stuff, and we got to get our best people out there. So, you know, there's some things we've done well over seven games, and we need to go back and take a look at those and make sure that they're a big part of what we do. Yeah, a lot of reflection is needed for this Virginia Tech offense, which has been brutal. Uh, Tech's defense did hold Miami to just 20 points, but the Hokies did give up quite a bit. Tech allowed Miami to generate 458 Total net yards of offense allowed Miami to go 8-17 on third downs. Allowed Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke to go 29-46 for 351 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. The Hokies registered just two sacks over the course of the game. Next up for Virginia Tech, a bye week, mercifully, uh, and then a game at NC State on Thursday night, October 27th. Uh, Navy played a game this past Friday night. The midshipmen fell to 2-4 and four overall and 2-2 two and two in the American Athletic Conference with a 40-34 loss 
at SMU. This was a classic bad beat, by the way. Uh, I had Tulsa minus 12 and a half on Goldilocks. The midshipmen scored a touchdown with nine seconds left in the fourth quarter in cutting their deficit from 40-27 to 40-34. Uh, a lot of money changed hands with that Navy touchdown late in the fourth quarter on Friday night. Navy trailed in the fourth quarter 40-20, but ended up winning the fourth quarter 27 uh, to make the final score respectable. Navy's defense, though, was really disappointing in this game. The Mids allowed SMU to average 9.19 yards per play, and the Mids got dissected by SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai, who went 20-27 for 336 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions, and took no sacks. He averaged 12 0.44 yards per pass attempt, and he had six carries for 74 yards and a touchdown, which was a third quarter second and one 60-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. Uh, the bright spot for Navy was the offense. Uh, the mids were very good offensively for a second consecutive game off having been really bad offensively over their first three games of the season. The mids generated 510 total net yards of offense. The mids went 11 of 22 on third downs and 5 of 7 on fourth downs. Uh, the mids won the time of possession battle by 21 minutes, 24 seconds. The mids for the game, how about this, ran 101 offensive plays to SMU's 48. Uh, quarterback Ty Lovatai had his first big game this season in terms of rushing. Uh, finished with 25 carries for 120 yards and two touchdowns. He also had two touchdown passes, although he went just 9 to 21 passing for just 138 yards and an interception. He took one sack. Uh, Slotback Mikel Haywood had a nice game, eight carries for 95 yards. So Navy's offense actually seems to have been righted. Uh, but Navy did lose once again. Uh, next up for Navy, home to Houston this Saturday at noon. Also losing over the weekend, James Madison, which had been in the Associated Press Top 25 for the first time ever. Uh, well, that run lasted for just a week. Uh, the then number 25 Dukes lost at Georgia Southern, 45-38 on Saturday. Uh, JMU fell to 5-1 and overall and 3-1 and in the Sunbelt Conference. This was a wild game. The Dukes blew leads of 14-0 in the second quarter and 24-14 in the third quarter. The two teams combined for 1,265 total net yards of offense. You know, James Madison through week six was number one in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. Uh, well, you couldn't tell that by watching this game. Georgia Southern quarterback Kyle Van Treese threw for five 178 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. He only completed 38 of his 64 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 59.4, but he averaged 9.03 yards per pass attempt and a whopping 15.21 yards per completion. Uh, as for the Dukes quarterback, Todd Senteo, he put up big numbers, but he also threw three interceptions and took three sacks. He finished 28 of 48 for 468 yards and two touchdowns. Also had three touchdown runs. Uh, also, JMU running back Percy Ajay Obase, 18 carries for 106 yards. Next up for James Madison, homecoming, home to Marshall this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Uh, next up for Georgia Southern is a game at Old Dominion. And how about the Monarchs? Uh, they improved to 3-3 three and three overall and 2-0 and in the Sunbelt Conference with a 49-21 win at Coastal Carolina on Saturday afternoon in a big-time upset. Uh, ODU was an 11-point underdog in multiple shops. ODU was picked by coaches to finish last 
in the Sun Belt's East Division, but the Mighty Monarchs now are first in the East Division. What a job by them, and what a job by ODU running back Blake Watson on Saturday afternoon. 18 carries for 256 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, next up for Old Dominion, homecoming, home to Georgia Southern this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And also on Saturday was Liberty winning and securing bowl eligibility. The Flames in what was their homecoming game got by Gardner-Webb 21-20 at Williams Stadium in Lynchburg, Virginia. Liberty now 6-1 and overall, again was down to its third-string quarterback. The guy who was supposed to be Liberty starting quarterback this season, Charlie Brewer, uh, he has been out since suffering a broken hand in Liberty's season opener. Uh, the Flames QB2, Caden Salter, was out for a second consecutive game due to a groin injury for which it turns out he underwent surgery last week. And so third string quarterback Jonathan Bennett was Liberty's starting quarterback for a second straight game. Uh, pretty, this game was not. Uh, Liberty won despite going one of 12 on third downs, uh, but Liberty did win. Uh, this is the 17th consecutive season in which Liberty football has notched at least six wins. Next up for Liberty, home to BYU this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And before we call it a show, let's hit on the Capitals. Uh, They have a game on Monday night, home to the Vancouver Canucks at 7. This off the Caps over the weekend, getting their first win of the 2022-2023 NHL regular season. The Caps improved to 1-2-0 with a 3-1 win over the Montreal Canadiens at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night. The Caps did not look good over the first two games. Uh, looked a lot better on Saturday night. Goaltender Darcy Kemper stopped 21 of the 22 shots on goal that he faced. Kemper, for natural stat trick, faced just three high-danger shots on goal the entire game. Uh, he stopped two of them. He stopped all five of the medium-danger shots on goal that he faced and stopped all 14 of the low-danger shots on goal that he faced. The Caps did a really good job of limiting the Canadiens' high danger chances. The Canadiens for the game per natural stat trick had just four five-on-five high danger shot attempts. Uh, the Caps on Saturday night also had their first good game on special teams in this regular season. Caps went 3-3 on the penalty kill of having gone just 4-6 on the penalty kill over their first two games. The Caps went 1-2 on the power play of having gone 0-9 of on the power play over their first two games, uh, forward Alex Ovechkin on Saturday night registered his first point of the regular season. He had a primary assist, a game-high six shots on goal, and a game-high 11 total shot attempts. Also, he blocked two shots. Uh, the Ovechkin primary assist came on what was a power play goal by forward TJ Oshie, 15-20. Into the second period for a 3-1 Caps lead, Oshie scored in a low slot off an Ovechkin snapshot from just outside the left circle near the high slot. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette prior to the game said that he wanted to see more urgency from the Caps. Well, we did see more urgency on Saturday night. Here was Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, it's still more. It was still it was still tight out there. And I'm not sure if we're just in tight games right now or we're not generating enough. And so it's it was a it was a grind, but the power play I thought did a good job of moving pucks around. I think you know there's there was a lot of chances on the power play, and that um, you know when we scored, they moved it around really well and um, generated looks from all over. So that was that was really positive to see. But the games have just been tight. We're playing it pretty tight. We're not giving up that much, and I don't think we gave up. You know, probably less than 10 chances tonight. And so that's a good part of it. We'd just like to continue to try and pound home the offense. 
Yeah, the Caps' other goals on Saturday night were second period even strength goals by forwards Connor Sheary and Anthony Mantha. Sheary did commit a second period tripping minor as the Caps did commit four minor penalties in the game, but Sheary now has two goals over the Caps' three games this regular season. Here was Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on Connor Sheary. Yeah, we we you know, we need everybody contributing, and you know, we talked about that. Everybody's got to be everybody's got to be pulling in our way. So, but it's you know Connor's been he's he's been really good in the game so far, and um, so is Nick and his line. That line's been good. Shears has been good on that line, and um, they can control play. They're good defensively, and now they're you know when they chip in offensively, that's that's a good sign. Yeah, Connor Sheary, part of the Caps' fourth line with center Nick Dowd and Garnett Hathaway. So the Caps off beginning the regular season with three games in four days. Now we're in the midst of having just two games over a six-day stretch, home to the Vancouver Canucks Monday night at 7, and then at the Ottawa Senators Thursday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 423, set to feature a special first-time guest on the podcast, Talking Commanders. I don't want to jinx it, so I'll just leave it at that, but stay tuned. Uh, Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals as they are home to the Vancouver Canucks Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Respect. Booyakasha. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.